Hey, this is Matt Stacy, youth pastor at New Life, and this is our podcast. I hope that the preaching and teaching you listen to here encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God. This podcast is a ministry of New Life, and as such, is completely free to the listener. That being said, if you feel led to give to this ministry, we want to make that available to you. You can text GIVE to 833-793-0451. You can also give online through the Tithely app by searching New Life Tabernacle. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. Amen. How many is thankful for grace? Amen. Amen. I love, I guess it's the second verse of that song. Grace taught my heart to fear. The Bible says that it's by the goodness of God that we're drawn to repentance. I feel the Holy Ghost just saying that. There are people that think they came to it, you know, they they thought about it, they came to the right conclusion, and now they're living for God. The truth is, Jesus found you. And he first had to show you that you were a sinner, that you were lost. Grace taught my heart to fear. And then the next part, grace my fear relieved. It was grace that told you that you were a sinner, but then it's grace that shows you how to be saved. Doesn't just leave us there. Amen. I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful for grace. If you wouldn't mind praying with me over this, we're going to jump right into the word of the Lord. Jesus, we thank you so much for another opportunity in your presence to hear from your word. Lord, I ask you to help me to teach in a way that you can anoint. Help me to say something worth saying to these precious people. Lord, let the seed of your word fall on good ground tonight. We're so grateful for this opportunity. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Tonight we are in lesson... 16 of our study of the book of Revelation. Last week, we, of course, studied chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. We talked about how it's referred to by theologians and expositors as a pause or an intermission in the judgments of God upon the world. That was last week, and I was thankful for that kind of pause or intermission into the heaviness of the book of Revelation. Tonight, though, we're diving right back in. We're studying chapter 8, where that intermission, that pause, if you will, in the action is over, and we are introduced to more judgment from God. Judgment, of course, I want to say this, we live in a world, when we think of judgment, right? When you read the book of Revelation, it's easy to think of this as a bad thing. But judgment is actually a good thing. The reason we, in our world, think it think of it as a bad thing is because judgment in 2021 is too often left in hands that don't care about justice or truth or what's right. But judgment's actually a good thing. If you've been falsely accused of murder and judgment comes forth, the evidence has been heard and the judge strikes his gavel and the jury comes forward 
and they declare right judgment. This person, so-and-so, is innocent. You're thankful for that. Judgment is a good thing. The righteous have nothing to fear when it comes to the judgment of the Lord. If you're living right, if you're doing right, if you're faithful to God and His Word, the book of Revelation is a blessing. It's not something to be afraid of or to be fearful of. The same cannot be said of those that are wicked, those that do not fear God. They ought to fear the judgment of God because according to the book of Revelation, it is coming. They are the only people that have anything to fear by this book are those that refuse to worship Jesus as Lord. And so the book of Revelation chapter 8, where we are tonight, is more of the judgment of God. It's right. What is judgment? Judgment, or what is justice biblically? Justice is right judgment. It's the right ruling. So often in our world, we get the wrong ruling. But when the end comes, Jesus is going to judge the world. He's going to give justice to the world. And what does that mean? Right judgment. Which means all of this is, is correct and it's right. What's going to happen. Now we look at it and we think of, wow, this is, this is harsh. This is tough to stomach, but we have to understand that it's a good God. It's a just God that is declaring these things. Let's dive right into chapter eight tonight. Verse number one. Actually, first, before we do that, I want to say something else. Uh, <laughs> often happens. I, it comes to my mind. We're going to look tonight and we're going to come up. So we've been, we've been opening seals in the book of Revelation. What are the seals? Uh, the book that was beside the throne, only one worthy, right, could come up and open that book to open the seals of the book. Jesus was the only one, the Lamb was the only one worthy, so He steps forward to open the seals. Each seal has a judgment attached to it. We get here now to the seventh seal, and what do we find inside the seventh seal but seven trumpets? And each trumpet has a judgment. And then at the end of the seven trumpets, we're going to find seven vials, and all of those vials have judgments. Now, There are people that believe that all of this is just restatements. That the trumpets are just restating the seal judgments and the uh, vials are just restating both the trumpets and the seals. They say that none of these are new. I don't take that view. And I wanted to say this right at the beginning of the lesson so that there's no confusion as to why I don't. Here's why. There is a seventh seal. Inside the seventh seal are seven angels, as we're going to talk about. And each angel has seven trumpets. It's a part of the seventh seal. That's the judgment of God is part of the seventh seal are these seven trumpets. If they were just replays or going over again the seven seals, then each trumpet would be the exact replica of the seven seals. That's the first problem is actually each one of these are different than the seven seals. The second problem is if the trumpets are just a replay or a retelling of the seven seals, then what is the seventh seal? That's the problem that we have with that interpretation, right? 
Because in the seventh seal, all we have is seven angels and seven trumpets. So if the seven trumpets are just a replaying, then the seventh seal is kind of useless, right? So it wouldn't make sense biblically. So I believe that after the seven seals, the seventh seal comes along. After the six seals, the seventh seal comes along and it brings seven more uh, judgments. Part of the seventh judgment is going to be seven more judgments. A lot of judgment in the book of Revelation. What is the book of Revelation? It's God retaking what is rightfully His by means of judgment. It's God retaking the world by means of judgment. That being understood, let's go ahead and dive into verse number 1. And when He had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now this fascinates me. Heaven is a noisy place. Everything we've read about heaven, constant noise. It's worship. It's casting of crowns. It's the four beasts constantly crying holy, holy, holy around the throne. Noisy. Chaos going on in heaven. Some of the extroverts are going to love that. But right here, we have silence. And it's interesting. Have you ever in your life, probably not even by yourself, sat just silent for 30 minutes? You have. (laughs) Quick to it. We've got one of us. You may be an introvert like me, bud. I can sit for 30 minutes in silence. And actually, I, I cherish those moments. It's called time. Adults even take timeouts, praise God. And they're needed and they're important. But my timeout is timeout away from other people. So it's self and self-imposed timeout. Amen. Most people though don't know what it's like for 30 minutes of silence to happen. And typically, if 30 minutes of silence happens. It's not in a large crowd. It's you by yourself. And then you're not really thinking about it, right? You're reading a book or you're just sitting there, but you're not thinking about the fact that you're quiet for 30 minutes. But there's something about the seventh seal that as it's opened, the four living creatures circling the throne crying holy, they stop. The thousands that are there, millions, billions that are there, silence, they stop. 30 minutes, Brother Treese called this a profound silence. I wonder, what is it that could cause such a silence? Some people, I was reading one expositor, he referred to this as maybe the silence that comes before Uh, the judgment of a judge or a jury. When the judge tells the juror to step forward and, and give the verdict in a courtroom, there's silence because everybody wants to hear what that verdict is. Some people compare it to that. I think that this silence is not going to be asked for or even required I think that the 
the silence that takes over heaven is an anticipation, if you will, of what's coming. They see what's coming as John sees what's coming, and there's silence that fills all of heaven at the anticipation of the devastation that is getting ready to hit the world. Interesting side note, uh, you talk to people and they will tell you that heaven is timeless. There's no time there, that we're outside of time. Um, I'm not completely sure how I feel about that yet, and the reason is, is because now we have our second reference to time in heaven. The first, we remember, the I think it was the fifth seal uh, underneath the altar. You've got the prayers of the saints, of the martyred saints, and the reply from God is, just hold on a little while longer. There's that measurement of time there. And then here, we have a definite measurement of time, 30 minutes. Space of 30 minutes in heaven. Silence. Let's look at why they were silent. Let's read verses 2 through 6 really quick. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Verse number 6. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So here we are, we've got seven angels and we've got seven trumpets. I was listening to a gentleman today and he was telling the story and it was, it just struck me as funny and I wanted to tell it tonight in response to this picture that we have. John sees the fate of the world and seven angels that have. Praise God. I, uh, I thought I was getting ready to be told that this one had battery problems as well. At that point, we just pack up and we decide tonight's not the night. Amen. Where was I? We're in good hands. The world's in good hands with these angels that are preparing to let these trumpets go forth. Let's look at, let's look at, uh, wow, I got, Totally thrown off by that. It's because of my story. (laughs) Hang in there, Melanie. It's going to get better. (laughs) Another angel steps forward. (laughs) So me and my sister, for y'all that are wondering, I'm just going to go ahead and, and explain it tonight. And I feel sorry for everyone listening at this point in the podcast. You're going to just be able to fast forward straight through this. But we have an issue, and that is, in a situation where we're not supposed to laugh, but something strikes us funny, most people would just release that tension, and they would laugh, and, and it's over, right? But we can't. And so, 
And so I understand, I understand what she's going through. And y'all just better hope that it doesn't catch me because once that happens, then I'll have to leave and there's no getting it back. Amen. It's, it's happened at funerals. It's, I mean, it's, it's at the worst, it's at the worst times, right? When laughing cannot happen, it absolutely cannot happen. That's whenever it happens. And it's just, it's part of life. So here we are, John's vision, seven angels. Another angel steps forward and he sees he's holding a golden censer or a golden bowl. This is very reminiscent of the altar. I totally understand. I get it. I get it. This is totally reminiscent of the altar of incense found in the Old Testament tabernacle, right? In the Old Testament tabernacle, you've got the altar, uh, brazen altar. Then you've got the laver of water where they would wash off after sacrificing. And then if you step inside of the Holy of Holies, you've got the altar of incense on one side. You've got the table of showbread. The altar of incense was burning continually. It was a representation, if you will, of worship unto God. The smoke from that altar would fill the tabernacle and then it would break forth and it would make its way up towards heaven. We have kind of a picture of that here as the angel is making his way with this uh, bowl full of incense. But also, inside this bowl, we're told by the word of God that he's also carrying the prayer of saints. And this is a, this is a powerful picture that we have here. If you remember, and I just referenced it a while ago, the fifth seal was the prayer to God for vengeance. So you've got underneath the altar the cries and the prayers of those that were martyred, um, in the book of Revelation. They were martyred and they wanted God to work on their behalf. And they were praying and they were crying out to God. And they were saying, how long are we going to have to wait until you do something? And God responds, just a little while longer. Just hold on for just a little while longer. And here we have in this bowl, part of the seventh seal, angel walks forward. And he takes this bowl full of the prayers of saints and he tosses it out on the earth. This time God does not say wait a little bit longer. This time God answers the prayer for vengeance that those saints prayed. And he pours out his vengeance and his judgment upon the world. I love this picture, not because of the vengeance or the just or the judgment that's taking the world, but I love it because it shows us what happens to prayer. Because we're living in a world, and I mentioned it a little bit Sunday, but we're living in a world where people have begun to look at prayer as just a spiritual discipline. I'm a Christian, so I pray. It's just another thing that I check off the list for the day so that I can say that I'm a good Christian. It's just one of those things that we do, kind of going through the motions just to say that I've done it. If someone asks you if you pray, you're a Christian, right? So you've got to say yes, and then you move on. Like, that's all that prayer is. 
But the truth is, prayer never dies. That's what this teaches us about the nature of prayer. And while that wasn't our prayers that was in that, those, that bowl, that was the prayer of martyred saints, it does tell us that every prayer that we pray is being stored up. That there is a storehouse right now of every prayer that you have prayed. It's not lost. How many times do you pray? And you feel like that your prayer has hit the ceiling and gone no farther. God doesn't hear my prayer. God isn't answering my prayers. I want you to know today that we have from the word of God a fact. It's an absolute fact that your prayer didn't just hit the ceiling and die. It's being stored up. It's being kept by God. And yes, God sometimes says no. And it's important that we understand that about the nature of God. There are times I am not one of those preachers that believe that you can twist the arm of God. That if you just pray long enough and fast long enough and do the right thing, that or if you could just have enough faith, you know, those that they have faith in faith, that you can cause God to do anything for you. I don't believe that. Sometimes God says no. And when God says no, my job and your job, our obligation is to trust Him. God knows best. If God says no, that means that He knows better. There's a reason for Him to say no. And I'm just going to say yes and trust Him. But there are times when God doesn't say yes or no. There's silence. What do you do when you don't get an answer? We know what we do when we get an answer. I say praise Him either way. Praise Him when He says no. Praise Him when He says yes. But what do you do when you don't get an answer? What do you do when you feel like you're just going through the motions, that you're just praying the prayer for the thousandth time and it's not doing anything? I've been praying for my loved one over and over and over again and they're still lost and it doesn't look like there's any hope. I've been praying for my child and nothing's happened. I've been praying for my sick loved one and nothing's happened. God hasn't told me no, but I, I haven't received my, my answer yet. I haven't received a yes. What do I do? What we learn from this is that you keep praying. You don't stop. Whatever you do, you don't stop because your prayers are being built up. What did they say in the book of Acts? His prayer has been building up like a memorial before God. So we have two instances of prayers not dying, of them just building up before God. You've got to keep praying. And there is an assault on our faith today, and there is an assault on the prayer life of the Christian today from the world. And if we're not careful, we will decide that prayer is the last place I should go. There's one preacher who said that there are things you can do after you pray. But there's nothing greater that you can do before you pray. Once you've prayed, Brother Chad, it's time to get to work. Either God's going to answer or God's not going to. Either He's going to say yes or no, but it's time to get moving and get working. There are things you can do after me and mom were having this conversation the other day. You've got a headache. It's absolutely right to pray for the headache. God doesn't heal the headache. Go to the medicine cabinet. God has blessed us with scientists 
and brilliant minds that have come up with medicine to fix the problem. And you're not wrong, and that doesn't mean that you lack faith for going to the medicine cabinet and fixing that problem. Sometimes God says no. That's okay. But that doesn't mean that we can just stop praying. Because those prayers are a memorial. They're kept. Sometimes God is waiting for His right timing. And that's something else that we learn. Remember, those saints that were crying out for vengeance from God, they wanted God to act right then. Right now, God, pour it out. Pour out your wrath. Let it flow. But God said, you've got to wait for just a little while. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't take those prayers and throw them away. He didn't dump out the prayers and say those were useless. Instead, what did he do? He waited until the time was right. And then he said, told his angel, whoever it was, angel, bring me the prayers. It's time. We've reached the perfect moment. Don't get discouraged in your walk with God because you haven't seen the answer yet. If God hasn't said no, and you're still waiting for an answer, please keep praying. Find time to pray. I think that maybe there would be two, a couple of sad things that would happen if we took a tour of the prayer storehouse of heaven. I think that there would be many of us that would be saddened or disheartened by how little we pray. If we could see how little we pray, what would it do to us? If we could see that our prayer matters, that the prayer never dies, that it constantly is being built up in heaven, and we see that we only have just a little bit prayed, and we invested no time into prayer, what would it do? I don't want that to be my story. I hope that it's not your story. I hope that when God is silent on an issue and He doesn't tell you no, that you just keep praying. Because I believe that when the right timing comes, the answer, if it's not no, the answer is going to be yes. And God in His perfect wisdom will make it happen. But it can only happen if we keep those prayers coming before God. We must be people of prayer. Prayer. Prayer is being so robbed from the church. That's the point I was getting ready to make earlier, but I I got sidetracked. Prayer is being robbed from the church because we feel like we've got all of the answers and all of the other areas, right? We go to, we go to different areas for different things and we end up going to God last, right? We look for everywhere else for the answer and when we can't find the answer, that's when we go to God. No. We ought to go to God first. And continually, it ought to be often. He ought to be familiar with your voice because you pray so often. It ought to be like a memorial that is built up before him that he tells him, he tells Peter, I can't go any further because this, this man's been praying so much and so often. It's time. We've got to answer these prayers. Amen. Prayer matters. Prayer matters. That's the first thing that we can learn from chapter eight. Let's look at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hell and fire mingled with blood, 
And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Here we have the first trumpet blows. And absolute devastation is the result. First trumpet goes forth, and hell and fire and blood is the result. Getting a little bit warm. First trumpet fires off. And we have hell and fire from heaven that's going to hit the entire world. And of course, this is reminiscent of the plagues that happened in Egypt, right? And something I'm going to mention over and over because I want you to get it in your mind as we're, tra- as we're traveling through chapter 8 here is to interpret the Bible literally where you can. Don't open up the book and try to find some mysterious meaning behind the meaning. Like, here's what it says. I've got to get deeper because what it says is not what it says. Sometimes what it says is what it says. And we should just stop there. I'm going to, over and over, we're going to hit this. What's the deeper meaning behind the first trumpet here? What's actually happening? Because it can't be hell and fire that's going to hit the earth. No, I believe hell and fire is going to hit the earth. I believe hell and fire hit the earth in Exodus during the plagues that hit Egypt. I think it's going to hit the earth again during this time. A third of all the trees will be destroyed by this catastrophe. And all grass, it says, is going to be destroyed. So what's happening? God is literally piece by piece with these trumpets destroying the earth. Before, it was kind of human devastation that was wreaking the earth. It was war, and it was famine caused by war, and poverty caused by war, and all of that. So it was human devastation. And then at the very end, we started seeing God open up the heavens and more devastation coming from more of a natural uh, element. Now we have just absolute destruction hitting the earth. Let's look at verses 8 and 9, the next trumpet. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. What do we have here? Devastation upon the seas. If you remember, I wanted to say this before I forget. If you remember when we were studying chapter 7, God instructed the angels to hold back the winds, right? And then he just, he instructed certain angels, he says, don't hurt the earth. Now he's telling them hurt the earth. He's releasing them. That's what we see happening in these trumpets. Second trumpet is blown. John sees what he describes as a great mountain burning with fire cast into the sea. You can read different commentators on this. And if you're not careful, you'll find some of them. And they've got a thousand different interpretations of what the Bible is actually trying to say here. That this mountain can actually be a mountain... uh, 
that it can't be anything natural force, that this actually has to be a representation of some kind of nation or something like that. I don't believe that. I believe that this is actual devastation that's getting ready to hit our world. What could this be? I think that it's very possible that this could be, remember in, uh, I think it was the sixth seal, that the sky opened up and they appeared to be stars falling and hitting the earth. We talked about how that was probably asteroids or meteorites. I believe that that's probably what this is going to be. Massive asteroid that's going to hit the sea. What's interesting is whenever it enters the earth's orbit, things catch fire because they're coming so fast. So that thing, the size of it, is going to look like a mountain on fire as it hits the earth, as it hits the sea. When it hits the sea, a third of the creatures in the sea die. A third of the ships are destroyed, and a third of the sea becomes blood. Absolute devastation. The wrath of God being unleashed upon the world. Can you imagine... Essentially, what this is saying is everything within the vicinity of that mountain, that meteorite, whatever that is, that hits the earth is going to die. A third of the world. A third of the sea, rather. It's going to look as if that third part of the sea had turned to blood. It's going to be so devastating. Imagine this, that it says all ships destroyed. Can you imagine the world? Because whenever we think of ships, I'm sure whenever you read that, you think of, you know, a small wooden boat or something like a fishing vessel. But our world has massive ships. And we've got navies that are full of, of, of battleships. Even those will be destroyed if they're anywhere around that when it hits the earth. Absolute devastation. So think about this. People make their living by the sea. People make their living off of the earth. Papa, what can grow when all the grass is dead? It didn't say a third of the grass. It said all grass. A third of the trees burnt up. What can you do with, with, with burnt trees? And then a third of the ocean. Anyone ever been on a cruise? Well, you need to go sometime. Stuck out in the middle of the ocean. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a weird feeling when you look out there and all you can see is ocean, sea. It's massive. I think it's somewhere around 70%, 60 or 70% of the earth is water. It's ocean. It's incredible. 70%. Thank God for young people that listen in class. Seventy percent, a third of the of seventy percent of the world is going to be not usable. Everything in it dies. Every fish in the third dies. Every ship in that area dead. The water, for whatever reason, is going to. It, it may just look like blood, or it may actually be blood. In Egypt, of course, God turned the river into blood. Could be here that he, he, because of whatever that rock was that hit, 
that it just looks like blood, but whatever it is, blood or whether it looks like blood, it destroys the livability of the ocean. The earth is devastated. Remember, with the previous seals, because of the wars that are going on at this time, there's famine and there's poverty, people are already struggling. But they're unrepentant, Brother Jeff. Their hearts are still hardened. And God brings these seven trumpets. And what happens here? They harden their heart more. And God destroys the ground where they can't plant anything. Nothing will grow. And their hearts stay hardened. We don't see them turning to God. They make their living out of the, probably at this time, one of the most fruitful places, one of the, one of the only places that they're able to gather anything good and, and edible is from the sea, is from fishermen. God destroys a third of that resource. Look what keeps happening here. Verses 10 and 11. And the third angel sounded. And there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Wow. Can't plant anything. A third of the trees are gone. They're useless. A third of the ocean. Everything in it. Gone. Useless. All of a sudden, another meteorite comes out of the sky. It's burning with fire. It hits the ground. And what does it do? It poisons a third of the water sources of the world. It's where people die if they are contaminated by this water. Contaminates the water. A third of the water. Literally, people are at the breaking point at this, at this time. He said it's going to be called wormwood, that thing that hits the ground. Wormwood is something that's bitter. It's going to make the waters bitter. The water's undrinkable. So you can imagine they are starving in many cases. They're devastated. Their land is devastated. The trees are devastated. The ocean is reeling. And then now they can't even, they can't even rely on natural water sources. Because a third of those get taken away. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. I'm coming to a close quickly, I promise. Taking enough time tonight. Verses 12 and 13. We're going to wrap up chapter 8 tonight. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. So here we have a fourth trumpet. And again, I want to emphasize that it's best to take these literally. These are literal judgments that are going to hit the earth. 
with this trumpet, there's going to be an eclipse of some sort. It's going to darken a third of the sun, third of the moon, and a third of the stars. You talk about... I mean, it would be simple just to put it in this terms. I don't want to be there during this time. I want to make it in the rapture. I want to, I want to be out of here on the first trip. Trees, a third of them gone, third of the ocean gone, a third of the water sources on land completely gone. And then all of a sudden you get an eclipse. It's like, what can't, what else can go wrong? Half of the sun, a third of the sun is not shining. It looks like it appears from, from those that are on earth. A third of the stars completely gone, a third of the moon. The fear that's going to take over the earth. It's interesting though. At the end of this fourth trumpet, an angel is going to go forth and an angel is going to pronounce a triple woe on the earth. What is that? That's triple warning. Warning by warning by warning. Over and over again. I remember my parents saying, don't, don't let me get the three. I feel like dad didn't let us get the two. I mean, it was like, you're gonna, you're gonna get it on one or you're gonna get it. Like those are your options. It was mom, it was three. And sometimes she would say three a couple of times, but once she broke, she broke. You better be ready for it. This angel goes forth and gives them a triple warning. And think about, I want you to think about tonight. We've had, this is the seventh seal. We've had six seals of absolute devastation, right? That's hit the earth. And then we've got four seals that, or four trumpets rather that have just happened of absolute devastation on the world. And you've got to ask yourself, how can it possibly, what else can happen? What other kind of judgments can hit the earth? And the Lord sends an angel at that point just to let them know, Brother Cody, just to tell them, just to remind them, just to warn them. You may think that it's gotten bad. You may think that it's gotten out of control and it can't get worse, that the world is gone, but it's going to get worse. The worst is yet to come. That's essentially what he is telling the world that's left over. And you know what's sad? They refuse to repent. All of this is taking place the entire time, and they refuse to repent. God gives them a warning saying, I'm telling you, he gives them three warnings, and he's saying, I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. It hasn't gotten as bad as it's going to get. And they refuse to repent. They refuse to turn. Instead, they harden their hearts. That's the first four trumpets. Final thoughts tonight. And then we'll pray and I'll let you go. As we study these judgments of God, I think that there's a few things that we have to keep in mind. Right? Because if we're not careful we can get overwhelmed by what we're studying. 
Because it's easy to think, well, this could be me. There's a chance that this could be me out there while this is all happening. First thing I want to say, I want to make three points here as I'm closing, if Sister Melanie would like to come uh, to the piano. First is we serve a merciful God. Even in the midst of these judgments, God, this, this amazes me. Brother Chad, I never really noticed this about the book of Revelation until I've taken the time to study it out right here to be able to teach these lessons, to really dive in really deep. I've studied the book of Revelation, but not as deep as I'm studying it right now so that I can teach to y'all. And this is something that really stands out that amazes me that I'm not sure that I've caught before, and that is the mercy of God. Over and over and over again, God is reaching for people. You say, how is he reaching for people? Well, let me explain how. Only a third of the world is devastated at this point. We all know God, what he's capable of. He spoke the world into existence. He didn't form it out of nothing. He literally spoke it. In the beginning, God said, let there be, and there was. He didn't use the natural resources that were already in existence. He spoke the natural resources into existence. If God wanted to, at the snap of his finger, the whole world is gone. He doesn't have to take it slowly. He doesn't have to pour out the judgment slowly, a third at a time. He could just say, we're done and wipe it out. He doesn't have to let Noah build the ark for a hundred plus years. Preaching. You know what the Bible calls him a preacher? Preaching. You know how many converts Noah had? None. We live in a world today, you know, if you don't go to a church that's got thousands of people in it, that, that you feel like that, you've, that you're a failure, that you haven't done anything. Do you realize Noah had none? The man preached for over a hundred years building an ark. Telling them the rain's coming, the flood's coming, judgment's coming. Nobody did anything. They didn't believe him. Did the rain come? Yes. Did the floods come? Yes. Did the judgment of God devastate the world? Yes. So we're living in a world right now where pastors preaching Sunday after Sunday. Preachers have been preaching all my life and all your life that Jesus is coming. But he hasn't come back yet. So it's really easy. I'm going to tell my papa real quick. And I, I told him I'm coming to a close and I am. We're at, I wanted to preach this, but I'm going to teach it instead. We're at the, uh, we're at Old Faithful. Everybody know what Old Faithful is? It's a geyser that's been faithfully shooting off for years. We're, we went to Old Faithful. We arrive at, at Old Yeller. Uh, Old Yeller. <laughs> Old Yeller. There you go. That's a devastating, I mean, that might be one of the trumpets. <laughs> be forced to watch that. Anyways, we're at Yellowstone. We arrive at the place where Old Faithful is. And I look at the um, the time and I realize that we're 30 minutes from it. I was tempted to just say, no, we got to get on the road. It's going to get nighttime and, and we're going to end up driving out of here in the night, which we ended up doing. But instead, I thought to myself, we've got an opportunity to see Old Faithful. We're 30 minutes away from it. We've got to stay. we got to try to see this. We're sitting there and we sat there for a while. And Papa saw he never he's never seen Old Faithful. 
I've never seen Old Faithful. I'm not sure what it's supposed to look like either. He's not sure. We see the smoke coming out, and every once in a while it would bubble out a little bit. And we, Papa would be like, you know, is that what it's going to do? And I'm just like, I know there's more. If we'll just hang in there. We're hanging in there a little bit later. Papa's like, Bubba, if, you know, if we'll just go over here. These uh, geysers over here, they're shooting off a lot more than this one's doing it. Let's just go over there. Let's look at them and let's go. I told him, Papa, if you'll just hold on. Old Faithful is the star. Old Faithful is the one everybody's here to watch. It's not all these little ones that are around that are, they're putting on a show, but it's nothing compared to Old Faithful. We got to just wait. I think there's too many times that that gets a hold of the church too. They've been preaching Jesus is coming back. The rapture is going to happen for so long. Still hasn't happened. And people start getting distracted by all the things that are going on around us. And that's why there's so many that fall away and end up walking away from God. But if you'll just hold on, I promise it's coming. It's on the way. And you don't want to be here. You don't want to be left on the earth when the rapture takes place. But guess what? If by some tragedy that you are left here, God is still going to be reaching. And that amazes me about God. Judgment is pouring out on the earth. Pouring out. One seal after the next. One trumpet after the next. And God is doing it slowly because He's still reaching for people even then. We serve a merciful God. That's the first final thought. The next thing I wanted to point out is that we have nothing to fear. I said it at the beginning and I wanted to say it again at the end. We have nothing to fear. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you're doing everything you can to obey the Word of God, you've got nothing to fear. The fear is for the wicked. The judgment being poured out is for the wicked. It's not for the righteous. The righteous have nothing to fear. Lastly, and most importantly, I want to say that God is in control. It's easy as we're looking at the book of Revelation and we're thinking, wow, things are getting out of control. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's got it all together. Looks like chaos is taking over. I want you to know that God's got it under control. We're looking at our world today. Here's what I, here's what I know. Our world looks like it's out of control. You read the news, it's easy to get depressed. Because it looks like America is heading in the wrong direction. And America is heading in the wrong direction. It looks like the world's declining, heading in the wrong direction. God, people are praying, where are you? Are you in control? God's in control. And when God decides to take total control, it's going to get a lot worse for the world. But it's not going to get a lot worse for the church. The church is okay. We can read this book without fear and we can rely on a God that is in complete and total control. That's why I always say, you know, people are so worried about, they argue about it. Whose side is God on? God on their side or is God on this side? Which side's God on? Everybody's worried about it. Whose side's God on? I'm not worried about whose side God's on. My concern is about getting on God's side. God's on his own side. And it's our job to get on his side. I wonder if tonight, I know 
as we're teaching the book of Revelation, there's a, a lot of this that isn't very, uh, it doesn't really push us to want to pray. It, it sobers us, right? We don't want to shout or run the aisles or anything. It just sobered us. But I wonder if we could take some time tonight and we could find a place to pray. And I wonder if you could just pray this prayer. God, help me to be on your side. Help me to see the world like you see the world. Help me to read the news like you're reading the news and understand that you're in complete control. Could you do that? If you wouldn't mind, you can stand. The altars are open. You're welcome to come up front. You're welcome to stay where you're at and pray there. However you want to do it. Would you find a place to pray and would you pray like that?